quick trigger warning, the secret in their eyes does revolve around an investigation into a rape and murder. We lightly touch on that in this episode, and it doesn't come up in the next two, but if you want to watch the movie, just something to be aware of. This is the No Future Podcast, a sophisticated podcast about international films for people who dress like Peter Bogdanovich. Sin futuro. No future. Argentina. Argentina. 2009. 2009. I'm David White. I'm Dustin Molina. And uh, Dustin, we were talking before we started recording about how you've gotten really into YouTube. Yeah, I've been uh, hanging out with a lot of kids lately. You know, kids I, I, I know them. Anyway, I've been getting into YouTube, yeah. Great. Our guest today is Andrea Cardenas a member of the New York comedy group Shiners and a host of a two-nun show called Praying for Goodell. Hi, thank you for that introduction, David. I'm excited to be here and Dustin. So how's it going, Andrea? Um, it's going well. Uh, I have something to say. <laughs> um, a few days ago, I did discover a mouse in my home. Oh, no. Um, and today I found a hole that I'm hoping was its entry point, and I filled it with steel wool. Um, so I'm really hoping that all its entry points have been plugged yeah. up. But <laughs> the way my super phrased it was, this will do for now. <laughs> but it was like, there's not really anything you can do besides like seal up your food and do certain things just to like, keep the mice from wanting to enter yeah it's like putting mm. a do not enter sign it's like well the door's not locked yeah the door is closed but it's not locked well speaking of mice andrea you picked out this movie this episode <laughs> i did uh the movie is the 2009 argentine film the secret in their eyes and uh dustin do you want to recap the plot here uh so secret in their eyes we are following two timelines in Argentinian history, one being in 1974, one in 1999, where we follow Esposito, our judicial clerk, who is in 1999 writing a book about his time in 1976 when he was on the detective trail of a uh, rape murder case of a young woman who, due to some up, ups and downs that happened with the judicial system and the corrupt government, a seemed shut and closed case where a confession is given, is thrown at the door, and the perpetrator of this heinous crime is let out free. And in 1999, we were figuring out what happens. And as we all look back on this terrible time and what we're doing about it now and what have we done about it since. I think that sums it up without spoiling the ending. Yeah, that's that's a great summary. And I don't know where it's going. I wanted to give you guys a quick background on the movie and the director and just give a little context of where it's coming from. So, this movie was directed, co-written, edited, and co-produced 
by Juan Jose Campanella. So I wanted to give a little background on him and about this movie. So Juan Jose Campanella was born in 1959 in Vicente Lopez, which is like a middle-class neighborhood in Buenos Aires. And in 1983, he enrolled in NYU for filmmaking. So he graduated and he makes two small movies in the U.S. He makes a movie in 1991 called The Boy Who Cried Bitch. Great mm-hmm. name for a movie. Edgy. Yeah, that is. I like that. I know. So it's kind of a bummer reading that that name was already taken. Because um, <laughs> that's gold. After that movie, he directs some TV. And then he makes a second feature film called Love Walked In in 1997. And that movie comes out and it does not do well. So mm-hmm. critically, commercially, and and flopped. And later he's talked about one of his biggest issues making that movie was that he had all these studio executives that were constantly pushing him to take out all the edgy parts of the movie. And he mm-hmm. said that basically they, they ended up taking out all the interesting parts and then there was like nothing left when it was done. Mm. So it's a very unpleasant experience making that movie. classic story of American Hollywood. Yeah, actually, when Campanella was talking about that studio executive stuff, he specifically said, yeah, this is not a problem for just me. This is literally every person in the Hollywood system has to deal with this. So he goes back to directing TV episodes. But one of the producers of the film had his own film company in Argentina, and he offered to let Campanella come to Argentina and direct a feature film there. He's talked about it later, saying that he went to Argentina thinking it would just be like a vacation from the U.S. He would go there and make a movie outside the studio executives, and he would just do that once and come back and, you know, get back in the Hollywood TV system. But he went there and he liked it so much that he essentially changed his career so that he makes feature films in Argentina and directs TV shows in the United States. So in 1999, he makes his first Argentine film, The Same Love, The Same Rain. And then he comes back, directs TV. In 2001, he directs Son of the Bride, which got nominated for Best Foreign Language Oscar. Comes back to the U.S., makes more TV shows, goes back to Argentina and makes Avanzela's Moon in 2004. So those are the three movies he made before The Secret in Their Eyes. They're all like dramedies. They're much more lighthearted than The Secret in Their Eyes. They all star Ricardo Darren, who's also the star of The Secret in Their Eyes. Mm. One of the interesting things is like the TV shows that he directed in the United States, because he he directs a lot of um, police procedurals, I think, which you can tell in The Secret in Their Eyes. He's directed 22 episodes of Law and Order SVU. Nice. He directed House. He directed an episode of 30 Rock. Wow. Uh, He also directed (laughs) eight episodes of Strangers with Candy, the A.V. Sedaris comedy central sitcom. Yeah, like a third of strangers with candy. Very strange. What a background that makes. This all makes more sense. Like going into this movie now. Does it? I I think when you when you look at the stuff he has directed, like before and after, you're like, oh, this this guy's a lot more diverse. Like he 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 tries a lot of different things than you would think just from going from this movie. Mm -hmm. I have a quote from him that was from around when The Secret in Their Eyes came out. And he said that uh, every director has other things in between films. Most directors do commercials. Even high-level directors do high-level commercials. 
I chose to do fiction because I think that even if the way to tell a story with a camera is very different between TV and movies, because the size of the canvas, just to begin with, working with the actors is the same. And I like to do shows where I get to work with great actors, such as SVU or House, for example. Uh, that keeps me trained. And I think the actors are the most important aspect of the movie. And the more I can learn about that, the better. So that's sort nice. of how he structured his mm -hmm. career which is he gets a paycheck for directing TV and he gets to work with Christopher Maloney. Mm -hmm. So it's a real and, win. Um, Mariska Hargitay. Yes, Mariska. Oh, can't believe I forgot her name. So The Secret in Their Eyes is his fourth movie that he directed in Argentina. It comes out in August 2009. And like I said, he directs it. He co-writes it. He's the editor. He's a co-producer. It's based on a novel by Eduardo Sacchieri who co-adapted the screenplay with him. So they worked together to adapt his novel. Oh. And they've gone on to work together later. So I like to think that they became best friends in the process. Thanks. It won the Best Foreign Language Oscar that year in 2010. It won 13 Argentine Oscars. Wow. And it was a huge hit in Argentina. So it was the highest grossing movie of the year. And... There's an article from the Argentine newspaper Clarin that was from November 2009. So three months after it had come out that uh, The Secret in Their Eyes was now the highest grossing movie since 1975. The highest grossing wow. Argentine movie. So the highest grossing Argentine movie in the last 35 years. And how it was back to being the number one in the box office on its 14th week. Mm -hmm. So the movie makes $35 million total on a $2 million budget very financially successful. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up making $9.25 million in Argentina. And just to give some context, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince comes out the same year and makes $4.5 million in Argentina. Yes. So yeah. it makes like over double of what Harry Potter makes. And that is the quick background for the film. So I wanted to ask you guys, before we start talking about the movie in general, I just wanted to ask Andrea some context questions about, because you picked the movie. Oh, God. So, here we go. Yeah, here we go. This is when I agree. Yeah, I'm nervous. Mm. Um, I have to keep my, yeah, I have to keep my story straight. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to get her on this. So, Andrea, when did you first see this movie? And what did you think about it when you first saw it? Okay. So I'm not totally sure when I first saw it, but I believe that I watched it in high school in theaters when I was living in Santiago in Chile in 2009 or 2010, where the movie was more well known than like if I'd been a high schooler here. How long did you live in Chile? Um, I lived there for two years. I moved in August of 2008 and left in like July of 2010. Is that the only time you lived overseas? No. Um, yeah, give us the full background, oh Andrea. God. Where did okay. you grow up? Because okay. I did not know you lived in Chile until you mentioned yeah, it as part of this podcast. So I was born in Quito in Ecuador. And when I was three, my family moved to the United States to DC, the DC area. I don't want to, mm -hmm. again, right. Falls Church, Virginia. And then when I was seven, we moved to Israel for a year. Mm -hmm. 
And then we moved back to the same house in Northern Virginia. And that's where I stayed until I was 15. And that's when we moved to Chile for two years for my sophomore and junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And that's since my senior year of high school, I have been living on the mainland United States East Coast. Okay. So, um, and I can't really say more than that. <laughs> Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> well, um, was your family moving back and forth for work or what was yes. the... Yes. My dad worked in the foreign service mm-hmm. and that's why we moved. And that's why we, my parents were living in Ecuador when I was born as okay. well. So he was working for the American government in Ecuador? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So wait, I have a question about living in Chile. Sure. Um did you go to see, do you remember seeing any Chilean movies or TV shows? Yes. I remember not TV shows. I remember two Chilean movies. Oh God. One of them was what I remember more. It was called La Nana, which is great. And it's also, was also, I think in the Oscar circuit. And then there was another one. I think it was called Machuca. Let me just make sure. Chilean movie. I remember seeing that in a, I think for a Spanish class. Did you, like, was it hard to adjust to moving from Virginia to Santiago? For me personally, it was really hard, but I wouldn't say my life was particularly hard. It was hard because I was, like, pissed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Not that's what because we're of, like, about. I wasn't, like, yeah. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I did speak Spanish and stuff. I think it would be harder. Like, I, I went to an American school or I went to international school, but still, like, it's not like I didn't speak the language or like couldn't communicate. And it was still pretty hard for me. You're just too popular when you went there? I was just so popular. It was like it was really hard. hard because I was so popular that it was overwhelming. It was not just hard for you, it was hard for <laughs> Falls Church. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't get into that. They um, struggled when we left. But yeah, so basically the first year I lived there, I hated it. And the second year I lived there, I loved it. At the time you had seen The Secret in Their Eyes, so when you were living in Chile, mm-hmm. did you see a lot of Argentine films? Do you remember? No, no. I think the movie, honestly, was just huge, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think Latin American films probably show more like in Latin America, obviously, than in the U.S., or like in more theaters. So I think I just had more access to it. But yeah. no, I don't remember it. And I was looking up if there were other Argent- Argentine movies that I've seen. And I really haven't seen very many or, or maybe any besides this one. For I'm, me. The, I'm the same. I, I don't like, I don't know if it, other than the other film that you mentioned was nominated for an Oscar back when, like mm-hmm. Argentine film doesn't seem to break its way into our mold. Uh, that had much. you seen Dustin? Had you seen it before, or did you watch it no. for the first time? My first time okay. was two hours ago. Uh, oh, nice! Right so you're we fresh. Got, so fresh with yeah. it. And I had seen the remake, uh, which I don't know if David is it okay to talk about that. Yeah, we. I mean, yeah, that, I was gonna. Um, that's part of our our context of watching this is that there was a big Hollywood remake, <laughs> um, was, which flopped. Came out. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. It's, I believe, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I saw it on Netflix like maybe a year, maybe two years ago. And I got excited because I do remember, I don't remember where I was when I saw the movie, but I remember really liking it. And I think part of the reason I remember that is because 
around that age, I think I was, and I think I mentioned this to you, David, I was kind of like snobby about like, mm-hmm. oh, America, like the U.S. is better. Like everything's, mm-hmm. even though I'm, my mom is from Colombia and I spent a lot of time in Latin America, even before I moved there, I still had this like attitude of like, especially with like American movies would come out much later in Chile. Mm-hmm. So I think to see a really great movie that's not American, maybe like seared that in my memory too, of being like, oh, you're like a snob and you don't know what you're thinking. Like you don't really like understand um, Mm -hmm. everything (laughs) because you're 15. Um, When I saw that they had done a a remake and I saw it on Netflix, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And it's kind of like shocking how bad it is because they could have just, literally remade it in English like step by step and just put it in a city in the U.S. with I guess the like socio-political context would have been different but still even if you take that part out mm-hmm. you could, it could still just be like a crime movie. I remember it coming out because uh, it was a big deal because Julia Roberts was in it mm-hmm. like her first mm-hmm. movie in a long time. Nicole uh-huh. Kidman Nicole as well Kidman. coming back. Yeah uh, that had a really strong yeah. cast. She would tell for is and the main character. Treat. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I remember everyone saying, "Ah, oh, it's a bummer that this movie's so bad." Um, it's really bad. You're like, you know, not to like go too much, but you know, it, it does something of like American crime movies or American detective movies that the like, grittiness is really just ratchet up, ratchet up to the point where everything is gray or everything's just a little <laughs> more grim and bleak. And yeah, but um, so you had not seen any movies from Argentina either, Dustin. Have you ever seen any like South American movies in general? Yeah, I feel like in history of my you know world cinema classes, there was we go over Brazil and things on that, but like City of God was pretty big. I was about to say City of God. Yeah, that's Um, probably the main thing I can think of off the top of my head. But City of God, I I think, would be the big one for Americans, um, at least in this time period. Have you ever been to Argentina, Andrea? Yes, I went in high school, probably shortly after watching the movie. I went in my junior year of high school for a trip to Buenos Aires. But a lot of people in Chile would go to Mendoza. I've never been, but that I think it's closer or like closer to the border. That's where yes. it's like the wine region, right? Yes. So they get some nice so. Malbec. Yeah, exactly. So I have been there. I probably walked the same streets as our hero. Benjamin (laughs) Esposito. Benjamin. So I just have a question for you guys um, that's kind of linked to this, is that there are these sort of like different plots and different tones that are going on during the movie. There's like almost a sort of police procedural mystery. They're assigned a case. They need to solve it. They identify a suspect. And also there's like a romance subplot, the will they, won't they between Irene and Benjamin. And there's also like a socio-political commentary subplot of what's going on in Argentina in the 70s and the 90s. And how did you guys think that the movie handled combining all three of these? Because it's it's like, it doesn't feel ambitious when you watch it because it flows very, I thought it flowed, flowed very well, but seems like a very hard balancing act to pull off all three of those. Yeah, I think it, I think it did a really good job personally. I mean, I am a little bit familiar with the third element, the like historical 
context, but not enough to like, to like be an expert. But um, what reminded me of this movie actually was the other movie that we saw together, Parallel Mothers, where they touch on a similar issue in Spain. And I thought this movie did it in a more seamless way. I, I feel like it was really well done. Intertw- intertwining them i don't know about what what you thought dustin yeah i kind of think it does balance out with it that the thing that surprised me about this movie i'm going into seeing like oh this is the original version of you know the american hollywood detective blah 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 thing that was super grim so i'm gonna see something a little more nuanced i'm gonna see something a little more measured and like mature in a way with it and i thought it was honestly going to be even more of a kind of like stark kind of film of just telling things that but it's an entertaining movie. At a base level, this is something where, like, it is a harrowing story. It has, like, a lot of hard moments with it. But this is a popcorn movie in some ways. Just, like, the best version of that kind of stuff with it. It's also a very cool one-shot in a, a football stadium when they do this, like, very kind of oh, artful yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. It's all this stuff that really, like, oh, I, I'm seeing something that is nourishing on all these different parts. You know, there's the political underbelly, which is way more apparent, especially if, if you're in Argentina at that time and, like, have a bit of history. But, like, it's clear as this nice underbelly for me watching it. You get this good detective story with a, you know, uh, a big twist at the end. You get some romance. You get some little bit of, like, not full comedy moments, but you know, some parts where like I did laugh, especially with yeah. the, the friend moment, like he is a funny character. The, uh, yeah, or like when they're sneaking into the yeah, woman's house, him. that is, mm-hmm. and when he very kicks funny. the dog. Like, he kicks the dog, yeah, very slapstick. That was very, I laughed out loud when he kicked the dog. Yeah, I was like, Whoa. Out of context, mm-hmm. this is going to sound like we hate dogs, but it's, it was funny. It, trust, Just trust me. It, yeah. was, funny. it mean, was, yeah, the dog deserved it. Yeah, you'll laugh. Um, that part that makes it sense when it's like, oh, he directed Thirty Rock. There is something very goofy about those people, <laughs> like huge, silly characters for a bit. Does it always feel exactly like it's in the same movie? No, but it's like a fun, entertaining movie that I think does a really good job at pulling all these very entertaining and like good elements together. And it's the most enta- entertaining, best foreign film, uh, international film that I've seen. Probably that didn't make me feel the most sad. A little sad. Yeah, it's not. It's not a tearjerker. No. And this is a genre I don't like. I don't think, I think this is my least favorite type of movie. I don't, I think really? I like. Wait, you I don't, don't like, like crime movies? I, I like crime movies, but I don't think I love detective movies. Mm. And I don't oh, think yeah. I love uh, law movies. Like you identify with it. criminal only perspectives. You only like, like, you only like gangster movies. You just want to watch a Godfather Saints, over and over. No, Saints in Newark every night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like the movie and it is a genre that I also like. Yeah, I, I, I really like this. Because you know what the thing it most reminded me of was True Detective. Like, oh, yeah. It's like this movie felt like this is in the exact middle ground. Like the exact transitional yeah, phase between like, Law and Order and uh, True Detective, where they yeah. even have the thing where they're old and flashing back, and then now when they're old, they yeah. have to solve a case, and it's very cinematic. But um, I think one of the the reasons why it works like that, where it can balance all the tones, is just that it is for the main characters for a lot of the movie just another job. It's almost like a workplace drama. For most of it, because they're investigating this murder, but they're not wrecked by it. They're well, trying to do Benjamin. It. Oh, you're right. No, because he only goes back once he sees how wrecked 
her husband yeah. is still. That's true. There is a period of like about a year where he kind of forgets about it. Yeah, because that's the like essentially they don't do, yeah. solve the case, right. and then they just close it and move on. So the point where like the main characters are not destroyed by this. They can joke. They have fun. They go to bars, and one of them gets constantly drunk. And he his is, wife yeah. is always He's like, "He's an alcoholic. Hey, don't sure. don't drink anymore." <laughs> but um, he's like, "I'm actually." He uses his alcoholism to help solve the case. Yes, yeah. that's true. It that's is, a fun scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I have another quick question for you guys. Did you guys connect with the sort of socio-political commentary he was making? Because obviously the Argentine audience for this movie is extremely familiar with everything they're talking about. But like, how did you guys process that part of the movie? I guess I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't research this history beforehand or had much knowledge about it. I knew that, uh, you know, like Avita was my kind of main connection to knowing anything about Argentine politics. But I did a little research on, like, you know, clicking on reading the little Wikipedia link that came with this movie, which was pretty helpful. And, oh, it is just this huge corrupt system that, uh, you know, it just is very recent and all this things still happening with it. And, like, you keep saying that it's this matter-of-factness to it, that, like, this was just part of society. Like, no, it's not like anyone's talking about all this stuff happening. It's all happening in the background, all these little bits. This is just, like, how things... And it still gets covered up. That's kind of like the commentary of 1999 that... No one was allowed to say anything about that happened in the 70s when there were, you know, these kill squads. Uh, And that's kind of the symbolism that's going on that bad things happened in the 70s. And now we can't even talk about them. We're not free from them because we can't say anything. But it is something where I feel I can understand from that idea that there is, you know, a government who hides things up and doesn't do the right things and frees the wrong people while, you know, the victims do not get their justice. Yeah, that, that part connects. The exact details of it, I don't know particularly, but I get that part, yeah. Yeah, I also, I think, again, because I've seen it twice, I had a memory of it having to do, to do with the, the context, but I also definitely needed to refresh my knowledge after watching it, and a little bit before, but I thought it did a good job of exposing the corruption symbolically and literally through just how certain characters go about seeking their own forms of justice when the justice system is broken and then also how our main character has to go into hiding has to essentially disappear like the, the a lot of the people like the part of the context is that so many people were killed or were dis quote disappeared by the government and in order not to be one of those people, the main character has to essentially disappear anyway in his in his own way. And um, and I don't think it's too hard to understand, even though we haven't been part of it. But I can see how maybe someone who lived through it, talking back to how popular the movie was when it came out, like somebody who lived through that time would really relate to it. Yeah. So, yeah, my short answer is yes. <laughs> Two yeses, David. Yeah, I think you don't, honestly, you don't need to know anything about it to connect with the movie. I think what it does is a really, one of the things that I really noticed about the movie and I liked about it is kind of what something, Andrea, you mentioned earlier about how they intertwine all of these sort of subplots together. And it's like the sort of through line for me in the beginning in the 70s portion is how these people are essentially like not in control 
like they arrest a person, he's later freed and they can't do anything about it. They want to have a romance, but they're forced to break it up because of circumstances outside their control. You know, all the plot lines in the 70s are about like these characters, the circumstances in Argentina, essentially ripping them apart. And in the 90s part, it's kind of about them reclaiming control of their circumstances about, no, I do want to go back and solve this case. And I do want, even if it's small, you know, I mean, the victim of the husband very much is a reclaiming control of his situation. Um, you know, <laughs> He's probably but, the only person in the 70s who did. <laughs> well, I mean, in, like, in the grand scheme of the world, these are very small level concerns, but they're all symptomatic of this bigger feeling out of control. And then later saying like, God damn it, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. Okay, so here are my quick notes. The rival government figure, the like evil, corrupt government. Um, he's very evil. He's very evil. Tell me about surprise how like how it, evil You mean the character? The character, the... Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. The character is very evil, but he also kind of looked like Paul F. Tompkins to me. <laughs> and real, so I just got a real, Paul like, he had a real evil Paul F. Tompkins vibe. And it was very <laughs> effective. Because I was yeah. like, oh my God, this guy is... As dead. an evil Paul of Tompkins would be. I mean, that's just yeah. so charming and funny, but then I'm going to kill you. I'm going to yeah. get you. Bring There's just this oh, way yeah. you just realize like, oh, this guy doesn't care about anything. <laughs> and and But he also looks and has a mustache kind of like Paul of Tompkins. And so it really shook me to my core. Um, there, There's a moment uh, when they go to interview construction workers in this movie. They're doing kind of the classic detective like, Hey, have you seen this guy? Where is he around? And in the scene, I don't know if you guys remember this, the construction workers are wearing little paper hats that look homemade. Oh. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar to you guys? I took a no. screenshot of it. I'm going to show okay. you. Okay, yeah, can you share that screen? Share the screen. Uh, I will be oh, sharing it. Let me close hat. all my cool tabs first. Okay. What? Oh. Do you guys see this? So yeah. here's a picture, a screenshot of what I took. So in the background, the other person, they're all wearing these little paper hats that look like homemade. Mm -hmm. And I Googled it, couldn't find anything. Because <laughs> I was like, because obviously it's not there for protection, you know, because you would right. think the first size of the ring hats, right, because he's a construction worker for protection. Are so, you sure they're paper? Could they be? No, look at this guy. This guy over here, that's a paper hat. Um, and I, yeah. I checked in like all the angles I could because I wanted to see if there was writing on the hats. Cause part of it I thought was, is it a joke about maybe inflation at the time that like you could take a $1 bill and it's like worth more as paper than it is a dollar. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, I don't think it's not like they made it out of money. Oh, that's so anyway, interesting. Um, yeah. So this is out, this is to the listeners. If you guys know why construction workers would be wearing little paper hats that they made themselves in Argentina in the 70s, please tell me. I need to know. <laughs> uh -huh. Yes. So, guys, that was it. So do you have <gasps> any, um, do you guys have any final thoughts about the film as we sign off? This is good. It's it's definitely a film that I feel like, you know, we're talking about it feels like true detective in a way, like where things led. It feels like it has that kind of like best version of these kind of things of having these cake and eat it too, where we can tell these like harder, more 
commentary stories in a way that is really palpable and enjoy and everyone's good and then like you know you, you leave it feeling like you really got a a, a show out of the, a film like this i really enjoyed it and i'm glad that it held up from my adolescence very relieved yeah, I mean, that would have been incredibly embarrassing if we came on and be like, yeah, yeah there's this shitty movie from Argentina Ooh. that I'm yeah. really It won an Oscar, but it's horrible. No, I mean, Green Book <laughs> won an Oscar. That's true, which I haven't seen that, but... But you yeah. won't shut up about it. Yeah, I won't stop. Yeah. All right, well, thank you guys for joining. <laughs> Yay! This is fun. Bye. Wow. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell everyone you love about it. We're on Instagram and Twitter at NoFutureNYC. And you can email us with questions or comments or compliments to NoFutureMailbag at gmail.com. I, I miss you already. <laughs> <laughs>